Well, last week was a week when bond yields touched a few psychological barriers or didn't quite touch them would be more accurate in the case of 10-year treasuries. So is that a sign that they've gone as far as they will go for now? Have central banks gone as far as they'd like to go? Uh, We'll look at the bond story again today, but maybe Japan is one place that needs to do more. Plus, more volatility this week. There's the Middle East situation, which could easily escalate. Aussie CPI, enough to push for a rate rise at the start of next month. It's Monday, the 23rd of October, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, you know, 10-year treasuries didn't quite make it to 5% last week. They got to 4.996%. Uh, then on Friday, they came back down to 4.91% at the end of the day. That's down more than eight basis points. The falling yields just about everywhere, including a 12 basis point drop in Canadian 10 years. Lesser drops in Europe, though, uh, just two basis points lower for UK 10 years, for example. Aussie 10 years fell four basis points to 4.74% on Friday. Another point that uh, doesn't seem to be one across is the dollar was one pip short of reaching 150 yen. It finished the week at 149.86 because it came down a little bit. The Australian dollar lost a quarter percent on Friday down to 63.1 US cents. Uh, It was up 0.3% during the week. But the standout, given all the uncertainty, was the Swiss franc. It was up 1.1% last week, while the US dollar lost about half a percent on the DXY. And of course... It was a shocker for equities everywhere, sea of red, particularly for the CSI 300, which lost 4.2% last week. The Eurostox 600 lost 3.4%. The Nasdaq lost 3.2%. The ASX 200 uh, last week was down 2.1%, one of the least worst performers, if you want to give it some positive spin. Uh, it was also a bad week for uh, coal and iron ore. Coal lost 4% last week. Iron ore down 1.5%, including a 3.7% drop on Friday. But gold is popular. It's up 2.9% last week. And Brent and WTI were down on Friday, but Brent was up 1.4% over the week. Uh, WTI wasn't far behind that. Uh, We'll see what happens this week. But at least in amongst all the confusion, gold and the Swiss franc, they're behaving like you might expect as safe havens. But uh, let's start with the yen, because it looks like there has been some news over the weekend on that. Here's Nabs Ray Atrial in Sydney. So close to 150 yen on Friday. So last time that happened, it seems like they did step in. So uh, a bit more tweaking of the yield curve then, what do you reckon? Well, we'll have to wait until the 31st of October to find out. Um, But uh, there was a Nikkei uh, seemingly sourced news report that came out out in the early hours of Sunday morning, um, Tokyo time on Friday, saying that uh, the Bank of Japan has begun to discuss the possibility of another tweak to its yield curve control setting as long-term rates are rising in tandem with those in the US, the Nikkei reports, without saying where it got the information. So um, the, the, for me, the context of that is, you know, and as you noted in the intro there, dollar-yen banging back on the door of 150. Um, we don't know for sure that they intervened at the beginning of October, but we're very suspicious that they did, given we had a, you know, a large pullback just after 150 had printed in the first week of October. And obviously, we know they did some very heavy-handed uh, intervention uh, back a year ago when we were last above 150. So um, to me, it does sort of highlight the, um, the, you know, the current distaste amongst Japanese policymakers for dollar yen uh, rising up through 150, even though you know, we haven't had any sort of you know, speculative excess that would, uh, that would explain the level that it's at. It's been remarkably unvolatile in recent weeks. But you know, to, I think the 
level, it has become something of a political liability, um, particularly with higher oil prices. So it's it's a double whammy as far as things like um, you know, fuel prices in Japan are concerned. So, um, so wouldn't, infl- um, wouldn't, inflation know, also, wouldn't inflation also be a liability? I mean, we saw that those inflation numbers on Friday, 4.2% year on year if we take out food and energy. So the Bank of Japan, I mean, that must be a political issue as well. The Bank of Japan must be a bit worried about that. I mean, could they even shock her, you know, think about lifting rates? Well, it's, it's uh, I think, more likely um, next week is that they will, you know, do something with the yield curve control, either sort of say that even that 1% hard ceiling, um, which they put in place um, a few meetings ago, you know, is no longer sacrosanct. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that a, you know, a move off that zero of negative interest rates, you know, even the most hawkish if such a thing exists, hawkish Bank of Japan central banker, you know, in, in the minutes of the last meeting was talking about next March being the earliest time, <clears throat> excuse me, that they might actually do something on there. So, you know, I think for now it's in response to this, uh, you know, seemingly relentless rise in US treasuries and, and the, the pull that's putting on, on YCC. They'll probably say that in somehow sort of lifting the ceiling or doing some other ruse, um, you know, it's designed to make the, you know, the zero rate policy more sustainable sustainable as sort of ironic as that sounds so um, mm. anyway let's see what it has but my sense is that it's going to make uh, traders even more reluctant um to be wanting to to, to buy dollar yen at uh, at 150 um, yeah. so i think it's uh, we, we set the week probably with a somewhat uh, somewhat firmer uh, yen as a result of that and will yields keep rising i mean or are we there so we you know as i said in the introduction you know we, we we've hit a couple of points now haven't we where you know the markets don't seem to want to go any further I mean, we are seeing, and the strength seems to be in the longer end, doesn't it? So the UK, for example, saw their 30-year yield up over 5.1% on Friday, which is the highest in 25 years. So, uh, but are, are we reaching a point where, you know, it's, things are going to start to pull back now? So, well, we did see a little bit of a pullback, didn't we, on Friday? Um, I mean, whether we can go higher, you should, um, when you've got Sky or Ken on this week, you can quiz them on there. I do know that they put out some uh, some revised bond yield forecasts on uh, Friday. So, um, um, which do actually have, you know, yields ending the year below 4%. So I think their, their fourth quarter number is uh, is more like in, in the sort of 45 to 5% range rather than above 5%. It does seem to me that the extent of the uh, equity market sell-off that we've seen, which I think, as you say, was one in excess of 2% last week. We had five consecutive down days for both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So when risk really is off, um, you are still seeing some evidence, I think, of sort of safe haven uh, demand for treasuries. But no, obscuring the fact that we were up, up, what, 30 basis points on the week, and we've got quite a significant, you know, bear steepening trend that's still very much in evidence. Um, in, in, in not answering your question about bond yields, one of things I think is worth observing is that the US dollar hasn't received any noticeable safe haven support Mm. when you've got uh, bond yields doing what they're doing and you've got equity markets under sort of persistent negative pressure. I think in another environment, you would have expected the US dollar to be much stronger. As you noted, the uh, the Swiss franc seems to be displaying far more sort of safe haven characteristics than the US dollar. So um, US dollar sort of struggling to continue to strengthen here, which, um, you know, I think I've said before, for inveterate sort of medium term dollar bears like ourselves, you know, we'd perhaps draw a little bit 
bit of a uh, little bit of comfort from that in terms of thinking that uh, you know dollar strength is you know is on borrowed time even though it seems to be able to borrow that time you know pretty much nauseum <laughs> whenever yeah. it wants doesn't it yeah yeah well so what about Europe then because we had good news from Europe uh, on Friday in that German producer prices have fallen 0.2 percent month on month hurrah uh, the S and P has upgraded Greece's sovereign credit rating to triple B minus. Uh, and UK retail sales were, well, maybe that was uh, bad news is good news because they've fallen more than expected. So, I mean, is that enough of a drop to stop the Bank of England in their tracks, I wonder? Well, we did have uh, Andrew Bailey was talking to the Belfast Telegraph, and that was published on Friday, saying that UK wages are growing too quickly to be compatible with the 2% inflation targets. And notwithstanding that bigger than expected retail sales drop, well, it was down 1% if you exclude sort of volatile um, petrol sales, um, you know, which is... Yeah, more than twice the fall expected. The uh, the stats office is trying to pin some of the blame on the unseasonably warm um, UK weather, which has delayed the onset of things like clothing sales, for example, although household goods were also off more than 2% on the month. So I'm not sure you can pin the blame for that uh, on the weather. Um, as you say, German PPI um, deep in sort of deflation territory now. So I think that is encouraging. I think it certainly keeps the, uh, you know, the ECB um, on hold for the, for the time being. Um, and as for Greece's um, upgrade, I was just sort of reminding myself that where Greek 10-year bonds yield, uh, yield versus Italy, um, Italy's rating was reaffirmed at triple B. Greece is now triple B minus, which is the lowest investment grade status. But Italy's, uh, Greece's bonds are already trading 50, 60 basis points below Italy's. So to me, that says that this sort of um, you know, rejoining of the uh, investment grade pack was, was pretty well anticipated by markets in the run-up to the S&P news. Uh, but also, so Greece's um, debt metrics have been moving in the right direction for some time now, and that's the you know, ostensibly the reason for the upgrade. Whereas Italy is obviously moving in the wrong direction. So um, it's good news for sure, but I think that um, you know it, it's not going to see you know dramatic outperformance. I suspect by, by Greek bonds going forward. Now we can assume it's going to be a fairly volatile week this week, aren't we? Because hopes of a less volatile situation in the Middle East certainly seem to be disappearing, don't we? I mean, okay, two American hostages have been freed, but uh, that really doesn't change the dial. I mean, Hezbollah is making more noises about their response if there's a, a ground movement into Gaza. And I don't think we can assume that the fact that that ground offensive hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Uh, they could just be getting their ducks in a row. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's so more volatility. So, um I mean, yeah. So what's the implication of that? Where where are we going to see the volatility happening in terms of uh, asset classes, do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, you know, oil hasn't sort of, it hasn't roared ahead. I know I've been making a lot of play um, as one of the uh, explanations, at least for the for the rise that we've seen in uh, in bond yields. But uh, you know, oil will, will doubtless remain um, pretty volatile. But, you know, thinking about the week, you know, equities are clearly in a sort of a, a down leg at the moment. And, and do you pin the blame for that, you know, on the on the the door of, of, of bond markets, or do you, or is it because of the Middle East and the potential implications there? I suspect that it's it's some it's it's a bit of both at least. But I think, uh, as you rightly say, there's you know tensions across the Middle East only look as though they're going to become more inflamed, and it's it's hard to think that that will play anything other than than negative as far as uh, as, as risk sentiment is concerned. 
So plenty of equity volatility and into the mix. We've also got some of the uh, the, the heavy hitters or the so-called Magnificent Seven uh, reporting their Q3 earnings. So uh, we've got Alphabet tomorrow as well as Microsoft. We've got Meta on Wednesday and we've got Amazon on Thursday. So given the weight that those stocks have in the broader indices, um, that also looks like being a source of uh, asset market volatility. Yeah. And of course, Australian inflation, that's the big story locally this week. We also get uh, Q3 GDP for the United States. And Tuesday, we get the flash PMIs for October as well for just about everywhere that counts. So there's quite a bit of data around this week. No, absolutely. And obviously down here, that Q3 CPI uh, release obviously looms large. And I think it will be the arbiter of whether or not the RBA does lift rates, which is only about sort of the prospect of a, of a November the 7th rate rise is only uh, priced at about 20% by the market. But uh, I did notice that the consensus um, or the Bloomberg consensus published on Friday for that trimmed mean is, is the same as NAB's forecast we published a week or two ago at 1.1, which for our money, you know, is not compatible with uh, with the RBA staying on, on hold. And note too that we get um, Michelle Bullock is uh, speaking tomorrow in Sydney, and she also testifies with Assistant Governor Chris Kent the day after the CPI numbers in, mm. in Canberra. So um, if we are going to get a rate, uh, rate rise um, on the 7th, she's got plenty of opportunity to, uh, to prep markets for yeah. it. So today, fairly quiet, isn't it? I mean, there's not really very much in the way of data at all. Uh, and as you say, you know, all those, all those earnings reports are, are, are later on in the week. Uh, we get Loretta Mester from the Fed talking, uh, to, I think, later on today. But she spoke on Friday, sounding pretty dovish, actually, on Friday. Well, yeah, I, I would say relative to her sort of, you know, hawkish um, credentials. Mm. Um, I mean, she wasn't sort of unequivocal that, um, you know, that another at least one more rate hike is there. Um, but she does say that we're, um, we're within one of the peak uh, and regardless of what we do, um, you know, at the next meeting, you know, we should be pretty close there. So in previous comments, she sort of banged the table a little bit harder, suggesting that there was still more work to be done. So um, certainly nothing there to, to put the markets off the sort of confident view that um, um, we are going to, to, to see the Fed on hold. Um, what's it, October 31st, November the 1st is the, uh, is the meeting there. So lots of central bank stuff to look forward to at the end of October, including that BOJ meeting we've just mentioned. And of course, the RBA the following week. All right. Okay, good. All right. Well, we'll see what the day brings us. Uh, not much, I suspect, because it all kicks off tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, we'll be here tomorrow to talk about all of that. Uh, we'll catch you again soon, Ray. Thanks. Will do. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's how the week starts this Monday, the 23rd of October. I'm Phil Dobby from that. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. Thanks for listening.